This is SideQuest Completed, the Hobbyist Game Dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. That button. SideQuest Completed. That's the entire special version of the song I'm doing right there. Well, some days you gotta do what you gotta do. Yes. Uh, you know, you decide that for that intro, it was done. Yeah. You know, that's all you needed. And that is a perfect introduction to today's topic, which is choosing to call things done. Yep. Uh, which is something I constantly both have to learn, but also to exploit to get out of a project that I just want to be done with. Yeah. Um, cut both ways. I think that's a good thing to recognize. Yeah. There's one thing I have to do as a developer who's almost always working with sprints. So two hours of focused work before switching over to what we're working on. Mm-hmm. It means you expect to try, you try and get stuff done within that two-week window. By perfect ideal scrum agile thoughts, you wouldn't focus entirely. You wouldn't treat it as a deadline. In practice, it's really more of a deadline. But that helps a lot with deciding work. Like the, all this last week, it was coworker and I struggling, which we thought would be a simple story. Had to labor a bunch to even get to what was a really small change in the end of it. And we decided not to pursue a bunch of other edits and refinements, refactorings we could have done just because we were so tired from doing everything else. And we don't, you know, the customer, the client doesn't care about refact good code. They care about working code that delivers business value or they care about a spreadsheet that does the same thing that just works. And same thing for game dev. People can't play a game you haven't released. So at some point you have to call it done. Yeah, this this actually opens up the conversation more than I thought because um, when we picked this topic from our list, I was thinking choosing to call things done is the context of when is this game done, uh, you know, or a whole project. But of course, it does apply to the individual tasks to uh, each sprint. Um, I'm a big fan of like time boxing work, and yeah. you know, when you get to the end of a certain time, um, just you know, having to make those hard choices of this is either done or what's left is another piece of work that I have to do a different time um and even the same you know, the same game or the same project or the same task that you're working on can have a lot of different results oh, yeah. um depending on how the work goes there are different endpoints that can be a form of done depending on how it goes you know maybe you get it done maybe you get your original plan done early and you have time for extra polish um implementing a, a cleaner api that you like um making some you know, rewriting a bit that maybe it was a little bit clunky, or maybe you struggle and you barely hit that by the end of the time, and you just got to move on because done is done. Or sometimes mm-hmm. you hit that end of time and you realize this can't be done in the time I planned. Um, this is not the time for me to make the big decision about whether or not to spend 10 hours instead of one. So for now, this is not going to get done. Right. Uh, so there are a lot of versions of done in, in that scenario. Yeah, that's one place where game jams can really help is that you have this hard deadline for completing something and it's a perceptible deadline. It feels real in a way when it's only one, two, three days a week, uh, four weeks a month away in a way that a two-year deadline on your average project would not. So there's a lot to help people focus on what they're doing and actually deliver working games within a time frame because you know you don't have another six weeks of testing you can do or another two years of refinement well that's why i'm a big fan of sprints and tie boxes because those large time frames are 
unnatural for people to hold in their minds. It's just not oh, yeah. how the human brain works. Sprints and time boxes create a manageable chunk of time in your brain that you can actually reason about. It's why it's important to keep to those and not to let things drag on past that uh, conceptualizable set of time. I know that's not a word, but I used it anyway. Conceivable. Um, that works too. That's a real word. Yeah. And that's why I think there's times where even if you hit the end of some time limit, don't treat it as arbitrary. Treat it as a hard rule because if you say, okay, you know, the sprint's over, but I still got to take a few days to wrap this thing up, that can just spin out forever. Oh, yeah. You need to cut it off. And that's not to say you'll never go back and finish it, but you have to treat that as another task that has its own time boxing. Right. You have to be able to tie that off. If you don't get it in the time frame in a way that is something you actually add to the product, then it shouldn't be added at all at that time. And you need to... Um, to, to move on. Um, that's another reason why I like to try to prioritize the work or, mm, yeah. or not prioritize, but order such that I'm doing it in small chunks that can individually be something to add so that, you know, that sort of, um, it's that continuous integration sort of philosophy of being able to always release something. Yeah. Um, I try to do individual features like that as well. So for example, in, uh, last end of the mushroom, just this last week, I was working on, um, some some uh, features that are required for me to be able to do level design. So I need to be able to do things like um, load a level map that puts all the different decorative objects like tree stumps and rocks and stuff in a level on the, on the tile map uh, that loads the boundary areas of everything that says where the Vikings spawn from and where the mushrooms start at. Um, and I realized that I had to also implement pathfinding that I didn't plan for. Oops. Um, so what I ended up doing, though, is the pathfinding is the thing I ended up being able to finish instead Ooh. of the other things. But that even if I couldn't implement it and integrate it all, I was able to complete a pathfinding library for the game. That is a, nice. a solid piece that is done. If I had done the other parts, but they didn't work because I hadn't finished that, that part last, then I would have had an incomplete, unusable uh, subsection of the work. So I try to order things so that wherever I stop... The things previous are at least something you can include without breaking the build. Right. And that leaves you with something that you can then play test with other people. You mentioned yeah. like shelving things because you don't know when you get back to them. You might find that you never get back to them. That's something if it's something you don't need, then that's great. Like you might think that you needed a really advanced particle effects. But if you find out that the game style stays simple or that the particular enemy you're going to give particles to gets cut because they're too hard to code an AI for, that saves you a lot of trouble. We have an idea in software development of the spike and other contexts as well. The basic idea is that you set aside a certain block of time, like you mentioned, time block. Spend as much time as you need investigating it within that time frame, say a day or two of the sprint, and then you take what you learn from that to decide on what you're going to actually work on next. You might try fixing a, uh, a common pain point, for example, and see if it's really an easy fix you thought it would be, or much more involved. You may try out some rough version of a new AI, not AI, sorry, UI, UX pattern, like a different button arrangement, different element, test it with real users with a very rough version, maybe even a literal paper version. And only then, if it works out as a paradigm, as a new solution, promising solution, goes to trouble of making it part of your dedicated promise workload. That's actually what I did well, with uh, Unity. 
and RenPy, uh, Unity and Anthotari rather. I want to see if I could improve the development process, switching over to a more full-fledged system because I had to fight a bit with RenPy to build my console computer-like UI because it's not designed for that. Well, as Unity gives me much more power and freedom to do it. But at the same time, I found the actual effort of converting the game over was simply wasn't worth it. I need to get content much more than the fanciful UI. And so I call that spike a done after a relatively short time and moved back into content creation, editing, whatnot. Yeah, I think that spikes are an important tool. And I also think that any set of work, any new feature or even a bug fix can become a spike in that the outcome of the work that you set yourself out to do may sometimes be learning some new information that might change the the decision you had to make. So right. whenever you're time boxing, it's not exactly an estimate. It's more of a budget. So right. whenever using my example, I set myself to if if I need if I decided I needed pathfinding, I had that week to implement it and get it working. Uh, and I wasn't saying I think I can do this in a week. I was saying if I can't, I, I can only spend a week in this game working on on this feature that I didn't really plan for. So I'm trying to to give it a constrained budget. If I can't get it working in this week, I need to find a different solution and take a different path. Um, because throwing stuff out isn't always a bad idea. And that's what spikes often lead to. You know, you do a lot of work, a lot of research, and the answer might not be, here's how to do it. It might be, I can't do it, or it's not worth the investment that it would take. Right. And that's okay. That's important information. That can happen for a whole game. You know, um, not all jam games work out. Not all larger games work out. You know, sometimes you get partway through, you don't find the fun, and you have to decide this is not working for the whole game. And the same thing happens for individual uh, features. And sometimes bugs are too much of a bother to fix. You know, if it's if you struggle too much to fix it, and it's not you know the balance between how much of a problem it is and how much of your time does it take. Uh, it is a decision that has to be made each time. Exactly. Like when I was doing Bitter Jam recently, I couldn't for life of me figure out how to rotate the individual sprites. I just wasn't understanding the game library correctly. And so I just said F it and didn't rotate any sprites and with using all the sprites in the original rotation. Just replacing one for another that wasn't orientation dependent and moved on to actual functionality because people don't play to rotate sprites. They play to do something fun. And so just prioritize that way. Saw that I've been spent like four plus hours of a, what, I think 24, uh, 60 hour game jam on rotating sprites and simply wasn't worth it. This is a company, Basecamp, does something similar. They don't have sprints. They just say, we're going to spend, let's say, six weeks on this particular project, functionality, whatnot. And if it doesn't work out in the time frame, they just unless it's like extenuating circumstances, they'll just drop it and say this wasn't worth it. And look for something that's a more productive use of time. They actually budget time versus setting deadlines for the work. So that way they're not always chasing completeness for completeness sake. Because after all, like you are under no obligation to complete something just because you started it. Anymore you have to finish reading a book. Just because you started reading it. Mm -hmm. Well, good time boxing is an active deterrent yeah. against the sunk cost fallacy. Exactly. Um, 
because you know that that can be a a death stroke for your ability to manage the time in a project when you have often not just one but many aspects of the game that you've put enough time working into that you feel an obligation to yourself or your game to finish or just a stubbornness and that can apply to the whole game or to parts of it but being able to decide when um, when that total you know when when the total cost it would take to complete something is not worth the end product which is an okay thing it doesn't mean you failed it means that equation uh is on a different side than you thought yeah so you succeeded that's that's, 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 good that's information that you couldn't get before you're making you're making the attempt it's not that you failed to plan it's that you lacked information that an attempt just like a spike uh was able to get you Exactly. Yeah, you just it's like you know, as Thomas Edison credit was saying, he didn't fail a hundred times to invent the light bulb. He found nine nine ways that didn't work, to paraphrase him. Similarly, if you find out in the course of a game jam that what you're working with just isn't fun, the genre isn't for you, the engine isn't for you, or something else, or the time frame isn't for you, that means you found a no, and no's are incredibly powerful. There's multiple Famous people credited was saying, "Was it? It's not about finding one thing you have to do. It's about eliminating everything else you shouldn't be doing. Finding the right, correct nose." And same thing. For does game every time. does every famous creator have a version of that quote? I think that uh, was it. Leonardo da Vinci said, or is one of the Renaissance sculptors who said that he didn't sculpt statues he just took away all the things that weren't supposed to be there yeah that, it was Raphael, Raphael actually okay yeah but yeah i think i would not be surprised if every successful while successful creative person a uh, creative type person has either some quote to the effect is using somebody else's quote or has at least internalized that because especially in this day and age there's so many other things we could be doing that finding the focus, dedication, termination, whatnot, to say no to everything but a few things that really matter to you is a major distinguishing feature. It's a pretty universally applicable law of creativity. Oh, yeah. Or just like to be excel in general, regardless of whether mm-hmm. it's accounting or sports or art or farming or whatnot. So, um, like I said at the beginning, I, I originally was thinking of the, the topic of choosing when to be done, um, applying more to the, the level of a whole game than the individual tasks, features, or bug fixes, or anything else that, that you're working on. And we've um, So we started off covering a lot of things I didn't actually think about, which has <laughs> been great. But I would like to talk a little bit about that larger part. Of course. Um, so, for example, I could ask, how long have you been working again on Anthrotari? And how many games have I thrown away after working on them for months? And were those the right decisions? Yeah. Um, that's you know, that's the other important half of choosing to be done. Um, any game, pretty much, can be worked on forever if that's what you choose to do. Uh, so when is it not you know not the time to continue? How do you how do you make that call? Uh, how do you make the call to continue working on a project for years? That is a good question. I, for one, um, I don't want to call you out here, but you have a good example for your with with your current project. Uh, so, 
I am uniquely clacking me looking up what is should be the first entry in the git repo log on Apatari. Let me see. The clicky clack. Oh, yeah. Oh, initial uh, commit for Anthotari was June 11th, 2016. So we just did the anniversary. I'll, I'll have to celebrate that later. Um, but so yeah. Six years. Four years. Wait. Oh, that's how numbers work. Yeah. <laughs> 2016. Yeah, not 2014. Look, the last four years feel a lot longer. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, basically, it's four years and then four more years if we count COVID. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, actually, the surprise is only four years. But it also includes long stretches of not working on it because of various issues, like very distinct career burnout. And they'll put a big damper in that. Other things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, four years. I guess for this one, well, one, there's the work of all the other people involved, contractors and such helpers. Oh, I don't want to see their work go to waste. So there's that commitment there. That's an, that's an aspect I don't have in, in my decision. Yeah. That, that's an interesting uh, weight to add. So I, I definitely ha- would be an influence, I'm sure. Yeah, that was in part deliberate. Another thing did too was I leaned into the uh, so that particular bias. The what am I thinking of? Some cost fallacy. Since I've well put money into this game and not a tiny amount either, like four figures easily at this point. And that is something I don't want to see wasted either. I was very so you sunk actual cost. Yeah, but it's also that was a deliberate thing. Something I put money into it early on so that I wouldn't want it to go to waste. I would want to see this thing through instead of being just a pet project that we get shelled like some of the other ones. So that was a purposeful thing. But also, I want some of my own work satisfied, completed. It's a story I do want to share. People along the way have been really impressed with it. And so I know there's something of value there, as opposed to getting a bunch of negative feedback and finding it wasn't the right direction. And I've got a very hard real deadline, finally, because Anthro New England, which is pretty much my perfect market, is has a 90s theme for the next event, which should actually happen. And yeah, I was going to say, is that, is, that, is that this year or is that next year? Next year. Okay. Yeah, it's already so canceled. You, this year's already got, canceled. You still yeah. got a good chance for things to work out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can't miss a '90s themed furry event with my '90s themed furry '90s setting furry game. So that makes that very real. So I'll probably be ramp, if anything, wrapping up my work on the game soon, just to make sure it's actually viable, or what I consider worthy of viable in that time frame. Probably still early release, but still. Yeah, and. I'm getting off topic a little bit because I lined up a lot of things, a lot of weights on that priority and resilience scale to make it hard for me to quit Anthrotari because knowing my brain bugs, my probably undiagnosed ADHD or something similar, my history of projects being dropped, I knew it had to take extended measures. Like it's easy, quote unquote, to finish something, your sprint of work at your job because that means you get paid next week. It's another thing mm-hmm. to set things up so you can be your own boss in some ways, or ideally a better kind of relationship with yourself, like be your own project manager, productive way. And wow, I've been working on this game almost as long as I've been dating my girlfriend. Yeah, so that's helped too, is having someone who's invested 
partner invested in seeing my success there has seen me through that journey. That's one reason why I've been enjoying, was it Show Your Work by Austin Kleon, the second book in the series after Still Like an Artist and before Keep Going, which I am for some reason reading in reverse order. That one talks about the importance of getting your work out there, getting your labor out there beyond just publishing it, but showing your work in a time frame. So things like Screenshot Saturday, dev blogs like yours, uh, Calvin, all that helps you. That just helps other people be interested in what you're doing, which is its own kind of staying power, but keeps you invested. Keeps you start developing a habit because there's one thing that's made Anthropology work in a way other projects haven't worked was the paced development. It took a little while to get there, but that I've been doing the daily work on it for over 200 days now lately, and that's yielded some very good results because that's easily over 100 hours to work right there in just that time frame. Yeah, I wish I had been uh, able to keep as consistent uh, daily effort as, as, as you do. Uh, the way that time adds up is really hard to see in the short term. Uh, it's a lot easier to see in the looking back that that was 100 hours or 100 hours that I didn't get done if I hadn't you know, put the same amount of effort in. Um, although I've done better at that, but that's also a tangent. Um, See, the other side of that is you're, you know, you're you're working on this game already for four years. You're looking at getting what might even still be an early release in another year. Um, so the other side of that is when to actually just, you know, cut the game off, either throw it away or release it as is, um, as is the case for game jam games. But that's that's its own topic. You know, game yeah. jams are game jams. Um, so what about, you know, let's talk about like some smaller titles, uh, things that you set for a few months and you focus and and get done maybe you get done the thing you planned maybe it works out differently because of the time frame but you you have a cutoff and there is something that you have to call done so uh last year uh i released chromoblast which was a game i made in two months and did not include about half the things i planned um Ooh. not just for not finishing them but they turned out not to be fun oh so what i released was a smaller set not because i couldn't do it but because the things i had thought of didn't turn out to actually add a fun aspect to the game Mm. Uh, i see the story uh into the breach developers behind that mm -hmm. actually had much grander ideas for the game including randomization more randomization or level build whatnot different enemy types they ended up cutting vast amounts of plan Thanks. and work and whatnot to get us the really refined game, the amazingly refined game that is into the yeah. reach. And it it, thank God that they, that. yeah, thank God they did that. Yeah. That game is a, um, the perfect example of it is great because of all the things it does not do or does not have. Exactly. Uh, yes. Uh, like so I, basically because it said no to so many other things, even past work to get down to stuff that really worked, which is the important distinction. It's like, they didn't include it just because they'd worked on it. They didn't include it for the sake of including it. They include the things that were the best parts of the game. Well, you know, with programming, we have a we have a big problem with that sunk cost policy, which comes mm-hmm. back here um, a bunch. But if you think of any other creative endeavor, um, if you're writing a story, you're going to write multiple drafts. 
if you're doing a painting, you're going to do maybe a dozen sketches to figure out the layout and exactly what you're going to be painting ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, every other creative endeavor has many iterations that are not included or are changed dramatically. Uh, programming and the related creation around it is one of is this oddball in the creative space of with how much we want every completed thing to stay in and you know have been worth it in a way that if it's not included in the final product we tend to think of it as having been wasted time um that is a mindset to fight against a lot i tried to embrace um deleting code or um coding as exploration um over the last few years and it's been really um it's been really healthy to embrace that both in as a way of exploring ideas uh, and as a way of finding better solutions because i'm not i give no weight to the fact that code has already been written uh, aside mm-hmm. from the, the time itself uh, but i also you know i try to embrace that that is a part of the writing process the code writing process is um finding what doesn't work like you were saying about the you know the the, the rule that many great artists have espoused in a thousand different ways um those are things that you can't know uh, until you make those explorations. And it's um, absolutely no uh, negligence on your part or failing on your part to spend time on work that does not end in the final product because the things that you physically create are not the only thing that goes into the final product. It's yeah. also the ideas and the knowledge and the experience mm, yeah. that form them. And those are things that you can only find through that practice or those explorations. That's right. Like the real work almost more so than the code of a software team, especially in the project's environment, is the development, the internalization of the domain model of the thing of understanding of what they're actually working on, be it a restaurant systems, how restaurants really work, how the market really works, how their manager really works, whatnot. The real challenge is to internalize that domain model and really understand the problem. And uh, that's why Steve Jobs, as an example, he deduced that people really wanted the iPod, even when they didn't know they wanted it, or whether they wanted the iPad or the other. And because he understood the customer so well, from knowing design, from knowing people, whatnot, and many other designers the same way, they just knew people better than knew themselves that guided their design work in astonishing ways. But yeah, you mentioned like we tend to treat code very precious. It's a similar challenge for artists too. They have to unlearn the common mental pattern of wanting to treat every drawing as precious and learn to power through sketches and discard them, even if it means wasting paper or wasting material, because that's the only way to get to it, to get to what you're actually aiming for. Change any endeavor, there's that whole challenge of the beginner mind wants to try and get the first thing right. And they have to learn that they're not going to get it right. And the master is the one who's throwing away the most sketches because they're no, that's the way they're going to get to what they really want to do. Was it Michael Jordan? Probably. Another basketball player said, like, to paraphrase them, you only got so many amazing shots because they're missing more than not because they're actually taking the shots. He said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That was Wayne Gretzky. 
I don't know about that. I bet they both yeah, said it. Probably a lot one of them was people. quoting the other, but I bet they both said it at some point. Probably, yeah. So just to go back to the core idea is that the only way to guarantee failure is to not try. And the only way to guarantee success, the only way to have a chance of success is to try, even if you think you might not succeed. After all, the, some of the biggest surprise successes are things that no one thought would work, but someone else did despite that. Or something that someone only tried, no one else thought to, because they exhausted the problem space and tried everything else already. I, I have... I've wondered a few times, and now this comes back up in my mind now, if there'd be a way to more purposefully integrate a sort of sketching for code, yeah, um, where where part of your create your where part of your process for your workflow involves writing, implementing something, intending to throw it out ahead of time, yeah. where before you implement a feature or a bug fix, you take a few quick stabs at it to explore and learn, intending. For it to be thrown away maybe even automating that and then from what you learn then go and do the the final piece in the way that you would do a few sketches before you paint or would write a few short stories before you uh expand them into a novel and of course i think we'd be we would be worried about the time but there's a, a sort of i think that there may be a similar factor to the the whole test driven development ideals where oh, yeah. the upfront time is supposed to make the final work go smoother you know that what you learn is going to be very useful or will be a better product uh, it will not be a total it's not going to be a waste of time it's going to be time well spent yeah. i'd love to have the opportunity to try uh, a practice like that in a full project yeah i know i'm a huge fan of tdd testdriven development and i purposefully did not use any of it for the bitter jam slash sweet uh turnip work because i know that I'm still figuring out what I actually want to do there. So I can't, writing a bunch of tests won't accomplish anything because you can only test for things where you know the answer. It's a common failure mode of people who are new to test-driven development is to try to write tests for every little thing without yet understanding what is worth testing. Because like setting a set, uh, testing a setter or getter, simple little value change method is a work of it because you're testing whether the code, whether the actual like language you're working with, libraries you're working with are actually working, which is their responsibility. So then when you figure out the business value, product value, whatnot, the thing that actually needs to matter, that's you find what's worth testing. A lot of that's going to be only one past experience with writing test and two with getting into the head of the brain space of the actual project to figure that out. So I'm definitely going to start adding more tests to my uh, library code, my Sweet Terms project, when I know what the library, the common code should look like. But I'm focused entirely on rapid prototyping, very quick hands-on testing with the prototype games just to get that out there and to find what is the common code that needs to be supported for multiple genres, for multiple proto games. Only that's only going to come out of experience. Oh, that reminds me of uh, Celeste. That was prototyped in the much more limited environment of Pico 8. And they, mm -hmm. it was only after doing that that they knew how to then properly, quote, unquote, properly implement, fully implement the idea in a full-fledged game environment. So we only have Celeste because they tried it out in a much simpler context and got that refined.
Huh, I didn't know they started with the Pico 8 project. As, yeah. uh, as, as interesting. You, didn't you have an early work in Pico 8? Yeah, that was part of the inspiration for Anthotari. I want to yeah. see if I can make a uh, visual novelish game in that environment. Even though that writing some Ruby code, generated Lisp code, generate the game. Found out that was a terrible idea um, because the space really is that limited in the game on purpose. And that's where the switch over to RenPy came from. But it only happened because I tried it out in uh, Ruby, uh, in Ruby rather, in uh, Pico 8, that very limited environment, and then discovered I needed to level up to a more powerful engine. Mm-hmm. It's only through trying to do it again with Unity that I found out that no, RenPy was a sweet spot for this project. Yeah. Well, it's good to have those, those um, early places. That actually, I like the idea of sort of enforcing that whether it's a time boxing or a spec boxing, it's, you know, a limitation in some way enforced, um, but doing it with the idea that it's a temporary limitation. So you're mm-hmm. using that for the, to control your exploration and then taking what you've learned from that into an environment where you have the ability to expand, but you now know a little bit more about the bounds you're trying to work in. Exactly. It's all idea of the creative constraints gives you the room in which to work without having to be inundated, overwhelmed by choice. Par- you know, the whole paralysis of choice. Paradox of choice, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could talk about the probably the best determinant by far of what is work- worth working on, what is figuring out what not to work on, and when to call your game done. I think that would be user feedback. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a bit of a that that can be really useful, but I will point out that can be a bit of a chicken and egg for some projects. You know, yeah. depending on the number of users you ever have, to, you ever expect to have. Which, if it's you know, if you've got a pretty small audience in the first place, getting any small subset of that available to to give testing and feedback is um, is difficult. Um, but if you do have it, then. Um, I'd be interested to know the balance between how much does that help you know when to stop and how much do you get um, conflicting feedback of, from different users who would want different things added. Yeah, It feels like that could really go both ways. Yeah, I know um, like author Tim Ferriss has a role that if anyone loved the chapter, he keeps it. That means he's hit upon something that resonates with people. And if uh, enough people dislike something, it can be... A few people, several people, enough people dislike something, he will cut it out. But only if someone else, there was no one else who did love it. Because that takes precedent over anything else. If someone, anyone, just one person, loves a chapter, loves some content, it stays in. Because it's proven mm. itself. Anything else is basically just on thin ice, with, uh, hoping it doesn't get too dismissed. So, to go back to Anthrotari. One reason I've kept with it is that I told a story where I brought some conf- uh, game conventions, game demo conventions, and people would sit there and play it for half an hour plus, like go all the way through the demo to the end of the limited initial content, even though they were surrounded by dozens of other new games, beta games they could be trying out instead. And I don't know if anyone would ever sit at any other table that long trying out demos. So that meant there was something there, very real. Definitely a good sign. Yeah. 
if people had just gotten up after five minutes and like shrugged and moved on to the next game, I would have known I was in the wrong direction. But there's clearly enough interest in these characters there, enough of a human connection that was worth uh, emotional connection. It was worth investing in that. That's one reason why when I do surveys with beta readers, I ask them like, what are some things, what did you like? So I know to keep it. And what did you not enjoy? So I can find things that are worth cutting. All right, so we talked about being done, done. We get to the point where we're done with the topic. Look at that. It started <laughs> and ended on the topic on topic. Isn't that oh, great? That's good for us. Such wonderful bookshelf, like book, bookends, not bookshelves. Yeah. Between the end and bookend. Yes. Yes. I'm going to cut some of that out because I flub it. It's okay. All right, so I guess update-wise, it's been a little steady progress with Anthotari. 25 minutes a day um, really adds up there. Actually double-checked. I put in 342 back-to-back days of Anthotari work. That is to say, usually 15 to 25 minutes of work every day for that stretch. Be it or word count, time count, what have you. That's really added up. I'm probably going to increase that. Because I need more velocity. I know I've got enough bandwidth for that and here or for that fast enough to do it. So probably another Pomodoro and see how much that ramps up stuff because the edits to Pixel, which is a really long route, took a while. And this is not really crunch. It's just a slight increase to a already small number. But that kind of bit of ramping up should help me get too much place was much closer to done well ahead of the end of the year was when we need to have things done at the very least already ready to go in early access or full sale or what have you so that's me progress wise great that's an impressive uh streak of of uh contribution to your game i yeah. i need to start so i had fallen off my daily bandwagon a couple months ago honestly with all covid yeah just once it got shot, I, it's really hard for me to get back on a, a horse when I fall off of it, basically. Mm-hmm. So once I fell off, it's like very, very hard to have the motivation to be like, well, what's the point of getting back on? Uh, anyway, I, I do want to get back to it. And for, with the inspiration that I'd love to get a count like you have in a, about a year from now, if I can do that. Yeah. So, um, so the last week, like the last week, like I talked about already a bit, um, I was intending to work on a couple features that I need to be able to, because um, I have a lot of the, the basic mechanics in place, but I needed the things I need to be able to construct levels. Ooh, yeah. um, and in doing so, I ran into a conflict with some of the core pieces of my design and some of the core tenets of my genre, which is the game at its core is a tower defense. And the a pretty standard way that those work is a stream of enemies follow a predetermined route from A to B, and when they hit that B point, they usually enter somewhere or explode. They, they, they stop there, basically. You can predict um, where they're going to come from, so you can actually plan. Yeah, and in my game, you can predict where they're going to come from, but they don't follow a predetermined route in terms of their destination. Mm. They are, they'll target your individual units, so they're not walking past your units. They're walking towards one of them. So it's reactive. Yes, which means as you as you change the location of your units from planting new mushrooms to them killing early mushrooms, 
the location that they follow to will change. So I thought that I could have a predetermined route, and when they get close to one, then they sort of veer off in a straight line. Um, I was not able to make that work in a way that I could design the levels around these routes, and that's mm. how I got sort of... Um, I sort of backed myself into a corner and I had to implement pathfinding in the engine, which I didn't intend to do. And I've implemented A-star a few times before. That oh, wasn't A-star. really a problem. But I had already done all this work with the AI and the logic of the Vikings that did not intend there to be a pathfinding uh, piece. And just sort of jamming that into the logic was more trouble than implementing the algorithm itself. Oof. That took me some time. It still has a little bit of a few problems. Um, the pathfinding itself works fine, but sometimes they like change their destination partway through, and so they'll look indecisive and they'll change their their target. Um, just because I was trying to add this into previous logic that it wasn't intended for. So I've got some refactoring to do, but I do have the pathfinding working. Right. I have level loading for different layouts. Right now, I just got like a couple of sprites for tree stumps and logs that are felled to make some basic walls. Uh, and they find their ways around those to your mushrooms. So now I have the pieces I need and the level design rather than the way a traditional tower defense works is going to be that you're either trying to grow the mushrooms. Uh, they're sort of all connected together by a mycelium network, so they, they can't grow too far from each other. Makes sense. Um, one of the goals is you're trying to grow them to an exit point because you're trying to get away from the Vikings. The whole point of the game is you've already lost and you're on the run. So either each level, you're either be trying to escape trying to defeat a certain set of Vikings. Maybe it's like a boss or something that yeah. it builds up to, or you're trying to collect a certain number of spores for before you progress. So now I have goals that the levels can have, and I can start to construct what the uh, progression of the game will be. Oh, nice. um, I did not get to do all those things because I had to do the pathfinding. Yeah. So now the next week we'll be finishing up all those level design features. All right. Good luck. That was a lot longer than I expected to explain that, but <laughs> well, also, explain. Well, it, right, which was the, the, the thing of my week, is that it was longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, actually, I started that a little bit before the week, so it, it was even a little bit longer. But now I can move forward, and I'm happy for that. Nice. We'll talk about media stuff. I'm looking forward to diving into the uh, it, it's a Fight for Racial Injustice bundle called again. The Bundle for Racial Justice and Equality. That um, bundle sales going off before we publish this episode, but or I donated, donated again because Sibling was having a birthday and they like video games. And definitely looking forward to going through that. Playing a little bit of a uh, Switch version of Breath of the Wild lately, just here and there to get back into it before the sequel comes out, presumably this year. So very excited oh, for that. I know. Yeah, I keep trying to play Link as if I was endgame Wii U version Link and not dies in one hit from a bleeping moblin, just beginning Link, and that has been a journey. A journey with a lot of X's on the map. Yeah. Um, so I, I I got the same bundle, but I don't know if I'm going to dig into it much, or at least not now. I think I'll just hold on to it because I got enough of a back queue anyway. Yeah. There's definitely some titles in there that I would have picked up at one point or another anyway. Um, but I don't really want to just dig in and be like, you know, try to treat it more of a donation. I'm glad I get yeah, to play the games later. Um, 
Pico 8 was in it, which I also want to avoid because <laughs> that could put me down a rabbit hole. So oh, I'm yeah. not going to try to build anything in that. Resist. Um, resist. Mm-hmm. I will. I will resist. Uh, because I've been playing, I'm still, I'm getting back into Factorio a bit, keeping in my time limit, but I've been working on my, my world a bit there. Um, I also have been uh, playing, I've been going back to a few things. I've been playing Slay the Spire and Risk of Rain as well. Slay the Spire, yeah. There's a risk and one or two. One. Okay. I just love it. Two is so much fun too. Um and outside of outside of games, I'm I'm burning through the fourth season of Magicians. There's only mm-hmm. five seasons of the show in total, so I know that I'll run out before too long, but I just love that show. It has been so cool. Um, but I am also starting to get into altered carbon so that I have something new to get into. I never really got into it in the first season. It was just a little slow the first couple episodes, but it gets into stuff. It gets uh, a little faster paced, really fast once I got past that. Yes. So I'm liking that. Oh, and uh, Kippo, Kippo, Ooh. and uh, Wonder and, Beast. Oh, I can't the f- yeah, Kippo, and the Age of the Wonder Beast. Season two dropped Friday. Nice. Um, we've gotten about three episodes in, and it's uh, it's a great second season so far. Nice. Really enjoying that. Didn't mean to start that. I know, girlfriend and I just finished uh, Space Force season one. That, that was good. That, that was, was really a fun good. Ride, yeah. People keep wanting to treat it like The Office because of the lead character, but no, enjoy it on its own merits. It's I I mean I do like it, but it is a it is a weird it's a really slow paced, honestly. Yeah. Um I, I do like it, but I'm off. surprised that it hit number one in the US on Netflix for like a couple weeks. Yeah. Like it just it's good, but I don't know that it's that good. Yeah. People are also eager for new like quality content as well, so not surprised we latched onto that. It was fun. We've watched a little bit of Dolo, Dolo de Holo. No, sorry, Dolo, Dodo, Hey, Dolo. The anime with the very violent lizard guy. Like one episode in. Looking forward to trying some more of that. We did also watch Artemis Fowl last night, my girlfriend's idea. And it's not good. Oh, I was going to say, we were looking forward to that no, here in this no. house. It's hard oh, best. no. I mean, I'm like 1.5 stars out of 5. I, I heard that a lot of Artemis Fowl fans were very disappointed in the movie. Yeah. I was hoping it was just the usual, not as good as the book kind no, of just, complaints. It could be a totally original piece. It was just execution was really lacking. So it was hard, hard to watch in points because the writing and acting was unfortunate. That's that's yeah, a real so shame. Parents, watch, go watch the documentary on race in the U.S. and learn from that instead. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a big collection up on Netflix that a yeah. lot of people have been suggesting. They've put all their documentaries um, and together, as well as black led shows together, and made sure that people have like a good creation of things to learn from, and that's important. Yeah. There's one episode of uh, 100 Humans, also on Netflix. The one with the gun training. It's incredibly relevant to our times. I can't call it prescient because it's touching on systemic issues for centuries, but incredibly doubly important right now. I do recommend people finding that episode of uh, 100 Humans. It's one of the latter ones. Okay. Uh, if you can find that episode or remember the, the... If you can find that particular episode number, I can put a link into the show notes and make sure it's uh, easy for people to find. Yep. As well as to that collection uh, up on Netflix, if there's a way to link to that, I'll try to do so. Yeah, well, Netflix has it popping up constantly anyway. 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, there we go. So thank you all very much for listening to SideQuest Completed. Stay safe and enjoy some game dev. Yep. Have a good week and uh, good luck on increasing your uh, your Pomodoros. To the cloud and good luck on finishing your future work. Thank you for listening to the SideQuest Completed podcast. If you aren't subscribed, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or at our website, sidequestcompleted.com, where you can find all our episodes and an invite link to our new Discord server.